Hello and welcome back to the Rewatch Rewind. My name is Jane and this is the podcast where I count down my top 40 most rewatched movies. Today I will be talking about number 26 on my list, Universal Pictures Little Star Productions Playtone and Relativity Media's 2008 musical Mamma Mia, directed by Phyllida Lloyd, written by Katherine Johnson, adapted from the stage musical book also by Katherine Johnson, and starring Meryl Streep, Amanda Seyfried, Pierce Brosnan, Stellan Skarsgård, and Colin Firth. Shortly before getting married, Sophie, Amanda Seyfried, who was raised by single mom Donna, Meryl Streep, discovers that she has three possible fathers, Sam, Pierce Brosnan, Bill, Stellan Skarsgård, and Harry, Colin Firth. She decides to invite them all to her wedding, assuming that she'll know her father on sight and her life will feel complete. Dysfunction, hilarity, and ABBA songs ensue. Okay, so I'm going to apply what my sister Rosemary said about Newsies to Mamma Mia. This movie is objectively not good. The plot doesn't make a whole lot of sense, most of the songs don't really help tell the story in a particularly meaningful way, and the singing is not great. This is the kind of movie musical I was criticizing in the Chicago episode for casting stars who aren't really singers and just letting them sing badly. Not that everyone in Mamma Mia is a terrible singer, they're just not all great. I can't say that every singer in Chicago is better than every singer in Mamma Mia because then Christine Baranski would have to be better than herself. Anyway, while I recognize that this is not a good movie, it does make me feel good. Watching it gives me a rush of dopamine, and I think I was practically addicted to it for a while. Part of that is because it came out at exactly the right time for me. I wouldn't say that I was a particularly big ABBA fan prior to seeing this movie, but I did enjoy some of their songs. The main thing I remember about my senior prom, which incidentally was in May of 2008, is that for most of the evening I didn't recognize any of the music. I'm sure they were popular songs of the day, since a lot of my peers were singing along, but as discussed in previous episodes, I spent most of high school listening to Julie Andrews, so I was very out of touch. But toward the end of the evening, when most kids had left for after parties or whatever, they started playing older songs for the chaperones, and I remember being so thrilled when Dancing Queen came on. Finally, a song I knew! A few months later, when I saw Mamma Mia in theaters, even though I didn't recognize a lot of the songs, I still felt a similar thrill at the uplifting tone of the music. And I really needed it. In addition to the whole I just graduated from high school and I have no clue what I'm doing with my life and the world is dark and scary thoughts that were dominating my consciousness, that specific weekend was particularly stressful. Rosemary and I were at this youth church retreat focused on service and social justice, which overall was interesting, except only one other youth from our church came with us and he wasn't even there the whole time, and our youth leader had a lot of other responsibilities and couldn't spend a lot of time with us either, so I was mostly just hanging out with my sister and the assistant youth leader trying to figure out what we were supposed to be doing. It was fine, but it felt a little bit like nobody wanted to hang out with us. But then at one point we had an afternoon of free time between retreat activities and the leader who had barely been around decided we should go see a movie, but then she had trouble finding the theater, so we walked in a few minutes after Mamma Mia had started. My sister had seen it before, but I had not. I was kind of frustrated with the whole dysfunctional youth group situation going into it, but it only took a few minutes of the movie to make me feel like I would never be frustrated again. I saw it at least twice in theaters and later got it on DVD and could not stop rewatching it. I managed to see it six times in 2008 and five times in 2009. 
And then, just like with Frozen a few years later, I hit the 11 views in a little over a year threshold and needed to take a break. Also like Frozen, there were a lot of people bashing it online, but at least with Mamma Mia I didn't care quite as much. With Frozen, I deeply related to the characters and felt personally attacked by the criticism. Mamma Mia hate irritated me, but if people couldn't handle its happiness and fun, that was their loss. Anyway, after 2009, I kept listening to the soundtrack, but I didn't re-watch Mamma Mia again until 2016 when I saw it once. Then I watched it twice in 2018 and once in each year after that. My love for this movie was revitalized in 2018 because that was when I saw the stage show for the first time, and then a few months later, the sequel-slash-prequel Mamma Mia Here We Go Again came out. It's weird because the story had already made very little sense, and then that movie directly contradicted so many things from the first one that the whole thing became even more utterly incomprehensible, and yet somehow that doesn't really bother me too much. The plot is not the point. I'm here for the mood. Watching this movie really feels like going on vacation. It was mostly filmed on location on a gorgeous Greek island, and the bright sunshine and sparkling sea mixed with upbeat ABBA jams really melt all worldly cares away. Which is a little odd because the characters go through a lot of stressful drama, but to the audience the stakes never feel very high. Donna is stressed after seeing her three former lovers, but mostly because she doesn't want Sophie to find out about them, when we know that Sophie was the one who invited them. Sophie is stressed because she doesn't immediately recognize her father, and maybe some audience members do want to know which one it is, but ultimately it doesn't matter, and she just needs to learn that. It may seem a little strange that an aromantic asexual like me would love a movie so full of relentlessly alloromantic and allosexual characters, but I really enjoy that, even though most of them do predictably end up paired off romantically by the end, there's a lot of focus on trios of friends. Sophie has her two bridesmaids, and Donna has her two best friends, arguably the best characters in the movie, played by the always fabulous Christine Baranski and Julie Walters. And then there are the three fathers, who don't know each other at the beginning, but develop a nice bromance by the end, when they agree to share the honor of being Sophie's dad. These three friendship trios, along with the mother-daughter relationship between Donna and Sophie, seem stronger and more important than most of the romantic pairs, and as I've said before, that's really what I want out of most movies. I'm never suggesting that romance should be eliminated entirely, I'm merely sick of romantic partnerships constantly being portrayed as the number one most important relationship in everyone's lives. So I enjoy that Mamma Mia focuses so much on non-romantic relationships even in the midst of its romances. I also appreciate the ways that the story challenges the traditional family structure of one man married to one woman raising their biological children together. Not that there's anything wrong with that, obviously that works for a lot of people and that's great for them. But that's not going to work for everyone, and there isn't anything wrong with that either, but there's a major stigma against wanting or ending up with any other kind of family structure, which goes hand in hand with the stigma against women having sex outside of marriage. When Donna got pregnant with Sophie, her mother disowned her, at least according to the first movie when her mother is described as a deceased pious Catholic, not according to Here We Go Again, when her mother is a living eccentric entertainer played by Cher who conveniently had a passionate love affair with a man named Fernando, but that's not important. Sophie doesn't seem to have been neglected or love-starved in any way as a result of being raised by a single mom, and yet she is obsessed with finding her father simply so he can give her away at her wedding. And like, I personally have a problem with a tradition wherein one man essentially transfers ownership of a woman to a different man, but I can kind of see how, if the bride has a particularly close relationship with her father, this could be a meaningful moment. But in Sophie's case, it makes no sense. 
What meaning is there in walking down the aisle with a man you met for the first time the day before? Once she thinks about it for two seconds, Sophie realizes that it makes way more sense for Donna, the person who raised her, to give her away. But prior to that, she has been so steeped in amatonormativity that she not only thinks she needs to get married at 20, but also resents her mom for not settling down with a partner before she was born. Not because she really needed her dad to be in the picture, but because she thinks she was supposed to need that. When she finally realizes that she's fine with not knowing who her biological father is, Sophie also realizes that she doesn't want to get married yet. On the one hand, since she's already at the altar at this point and she's planning on traveling with her fiancé, played by Dominic Cooper, it kind of seems like they could have gotten married and then done that, fighting the idea that married couples have to be boring and settled. But on the other hand, the main reason she wanted to rush into marriage was so she could meet her father and have him give her away at her wedding, which is a really bad reason to get married. So from that perspective, it makes sense to postpone it. Now, would I like this movie better if Donna also didn't get married? Absolutely, especially because she marries the rudest and most entitled of the possible dads. But if that's what makes her happy, I'm fine with it. It's worth mentioning that this is my 15th episode, and it's the first time I'm talking about a movie that was directed solely by a woman. Frozen was co-directed by a man and a woman, and that it was also written by a woman. I know I said that this isn't a good movie, but Hollywood is so saturated with mediocre films made by mediocre men that it's rather refreshing to see a big-budget blockbuster made by women that, if it's a bit of a mess, at least is a fun mess. For once, the female characters are complex and relatively well-developed, and the men mainly serve as eye candy for the straight women in the audience. Also, given the observations I made in past episodes about how much younger Cary Grant's leading ladies were compared to him later in his career, it's nice to see a movie with great roles for actresses over 40. Meryl Streep was pushing 60 when this movie came out, which made her about 15 to 20 years older than the character she was playing, but I mean, it's Meryl Streep, she could play any character of any age convincingly. Dancing Queen is a song I used to associate with youth, the lyrics literally say young and sweet, only 17, but its context in this film turns it into a song about feeling young at heart regardless of numerical age, and empowering women to step away from their responsibilities and dance down to the water and jump in for some reason. Like much of the movie, that scene doesn't make a ton of sense, but I absolutely love it. I mean, yes, the fighting and matter-normativity aspects are great and all, but let's be honest, that has very little to do with why I love this movie. The real reason I love Mamma Mia is because it falls into probably my favorite category of movie, which I like to call, everybody making this was having way too much fun. And nothing more perfectly demonstrates that than the end credits. I know that saying that my favorite part of the movie is the end credits sounds like I'm implying that it's because I'm glad the movie is over, but seriously, the end credits of Mamma Mia are everything. They start with Meryl Streep, Christine Baranski, and Julie Walters in amazingly ridiculous 1970s costumes singing and dancing to a reprise of Dancing Queen, which is delightful in and of itself. Then after the song ends, Meryl asks the audience, Do you want another one? a few times, and then they start performing Waterloo. When they get to the chorus, Pierce Brosnan, Stellan Skarsgård, and Colin Firth join them wearing similar costumes, as do Amanda Seyfried and Dominic Cooper a bit later, and the whole experience truly defies description in the best possible way. If you haven't seen this movie, please, I am begging you, look up the end credits on YouTube. I promise you will not be disappointed. Colin Firth's commitment alone is worth watching. In fact, Colin Firth's performance is consistently one of my favorite parts of the movie. The way the clearly deliberate Harry tries to convince people that he's spontaneous is hilarious and perfectly done. 
While I would prefer to see LGBTQ plus characters played by LGBTQ plus actors, I feel like Colin Firth does a relatively good job of playing gay in Mamma Mia without being too disrespectful about it. And then he rocks his ridiculous outfit at the end and puts his entire being into that dance as if he has been waiting his whole life for an opportunity to do something like this. When asked in an interview, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Colin Firth famously answered, I personally thought you were very good in Mamma Mia. Obviously, I can't speak for God, but I personally think that very good is an understatement. I could talk about how Pierce Brosnan was miscast, but I think that's been discussed enough, so all I'll say is he tried. His character's bad communication skills irritate me far more than the actor's bad singing. Seriously, this entire situation could have been avoided if back in the day Sam had told Donna that he was going home to break up with his fiancée and then coming back to her, but no, he for some reason thought she would be waiting for him when all she knew was that he was engaged to someone else. And then in present day, he just lets her think that he's still married and stands there silently while she sings the entirety of The Winner Takes It All, bringing the plot, such as it was, to a grinding halt when it would have taken him like two seconds to say, I'm divorced and I'm still in love with you. He doesn't tell her he's divorced until after he proposes. It's like, dude, you can't just keep waiting until the most dramatic moment possible to tell people things. No wonder your first marriage fell apart. Even though I know that the story is nonsense, I can't help overanalyzing it anyway, because as much as I don't feel like I should, I really do absolutely love everything about this movie. And the feeling that I should be ashamed of something I'm not actually ashamed of was particularly pertinent around the time this movie came out, because graduates of my high school are kind of expected to head straight to a prestigious four-year university, and I was just going to community college. I knew it was the right decision for me at the time, but other people made me feel like I should feel bad about it. I have this distinct memory, probably from late 2008 or early 2009, of standing in the aisle of a crowded bus heading to community college and listening to Meryl Streep singing the Mamma Mia title song and just feeling so happy and at peace. There was nowhere I would have rather been at that moment than on that bus listening to that song. I felt okay with following my own path at my own pace, and I felt okay with loving a movie other people said was garbage. Sometimes I still struggle to maintain that mindset, but rewatching Mamma Mia is one of the things that helps remind me. Thank you for listening to me discuss another of my most rewatched movies, especially if you're someone who does not enjoy Mamma Mia. I do sincerely hope that each and every person listening has at least one movie that they know isn't good but still love anyway. It's a very different feeling from loving a movie that is almost universally praised by critics and audiences alike, although they're both great feelings. In fact, the movie I'll be talking about next week falls into the latter category, so stay tuned for my thoughts on a much more highly acclaimed film, which is the shortest of five that I watched 19 times in the 20 years I was tracking. As always, I will leave you with a quote from that next movie. Forgive me for not leaping for joy. Bad back, you know. <laughs>